outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey guys, before we get into the show today, I want to give you a quick heads up on our latest Working for Wildlife Tour events that are coming up. Now, if you are listening to this on the day this new episode drops, which will be Thursday, July 27th, 2023, I believe we've got a Working for Wildlife Tour event coming up this very weekend on Saturday, July 29th, up in the panhandle of Idaho. So if you are up there in the Northwest I don't know if that's Montana, Idaho, Washington, anywhere in that neck of the woods, please come on out this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. There's going to be an after party at a local brewery. But the main gist of this project is that we will be getting a bunch of volunteers together with our partners at the National Deer Association and the United States Forest Service to do some aspen habitat restoration work. We're going to improve big game forage, increase forest health and resilience, and do some good stuff for the critters out there that we love to hunt. So come on out Saturday, July 29th out there in Idaho. The details and registration for the event can all be found over on the National Deer Association website. If you just Google Working for Wildlife Tour NDA, that will show you a link to the registration page. Now, if you're not in the West Don't lose hope. We've got another one coming up in August in the Midwest. If you are anywhere near Missouri, we've got you covered on August 12th. That's a Saturday as well. We've got another Working for Wildlife Tour event in partnership with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. This is going to be some work we're going to do at the BK Leach Memorial Conservation Area, which is near Ellsbury, Missouri. I think this is kind of like north, northwest-ish outside of St. Louis, Uh, It's going to be a great time. We're going to be doing some wet prairie improvement. That's going to include some willow and cottonwood cutting, some seed harvesting, some invasive species removal, and a few other cool things like that too. So again, doing good work for wildlife. We're going to get together a bunch of hunters and anglers who care about this stuff, have a good time, and do something worthwhile. It should be noted, first 25 folks at each one of these events is going to get one of our very cool I Work for Wildlife t-shirts. 
There's all sorts of other fun stuff going on. Uh, this one on August 12th, there's actually going to be a kind of get-together, raffle, storytelling event after the volunteer project as well. So go on over to the BHA events page where you will be able to register for that event. Again, that's August 12th. The actual working aspect of that is from 8 to 1. And then the social get-together, the storytelling, all that kind of stuff is going to be from 1 to 5. So hope to see you guys there. Again, please sign up either in Idaho on July 29th or August 12th in Ellsbury, Missouri. Looking forward to seeing you guys shaking some hands, taking some pictures, sharing some stories, and working for wildlife. Now, to the show. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light. Go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. This week on the show, Tony and I are sharing our own strategies for scouting whitetails as we review and wrap up this month-long scouting series. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. And First Light is the maker of the Spectre Whitetail Camo. If you don't know, every purchase of Spectre Whitetail Camo, a portion of that purchase goes to support the National Deer Association through our Camo for Conservation program. It's very cool. A few new things on the First Light side of things, the Source Vest, the Origin Pant, and the Trigger Flip Mitt have recently been released. Tony has recently been telling me about the Origin Pant. I'll tell you that the Source Vest and the Source Jacket are something that I actually was personally involved in designing over the last five years. So I'm very biased, but very happy with the outcome. So check all those out over at firstlight.com. And yes, by now, you can tell that your resident guest host, Tony Peterson, is not running the show this week because I am Mark Kenyon, your host. And I'll tell you what, I've gotten over the beating that Tony gave me in Mediator Trivia. I caught more trout over the last few weeks than Tony could shake an ugly stick at. The wizard cosplay competition is all wrapped up, and I killed it as Gandalf the White. And that's Gandalf after he fought the Belrog. That's for all you nerds who don't know your Lord of the Rings trivia. And no surprise to anyone, Tony actually got called in to take over for me in the lead role in that kung fu film that Spencer's producing. Because as some of you have likely guessed by now, Tony is much better at faking competency than most. So, in all seriousness, if you haven't listened to the last four episodes, probably none of that makes sense. Uh, We are here today to talk about deer, and Tony is with me as well, guest hosting with me uh, to wrap up the series on scouting that you, Tony, led for the last month. So, uh, thank you for manning the ship and talking a whole lot of smack. While I was gone too. Uh, listen, the people just want to know, Mark, you're a busy guy. So, so we were driving home uh, from a camping trip the other day and I was listening to one of these episodes that you recorded while I was gone. And it was the one where you opened by talking about how me and Spencer were supposedly filming a Kung Fu film and kicking at each other in our pajamas while saying hi And my boys were listening because they were in the car with me and they just started cracking up. They thought it was really, really, really funny. And then 
Everett said, I think that's what you should do to Tony. You should get dressed in your pajamas and kick at him while saying hi So <laughs> next time, <laughs> next time we've got a Bozeman sleepover, that's the game plan, all right? <laughs> Look, I think I think three to seven-year-old boys are my target market for my humor. Yeah, it, it, it killed with them. I'll give you that. Good, good. I, and I am glad that you're back to talking to me after that trivia situation, Mark. <laughs> that it feels good that we've got to mend these fences. Yes, I'm, I'm over it. It was a, it was a beating, fair and square. I, uh, I accept defeat graciously, and I congratulate you. Hey, can we can we just talk about that for a second? Because <laughs> the trivia that trivia show is weird. Spencer does a really good job with it, but there's mm-hmm. like a it's like a weird level of anxiety and stress when you're competing on there. I don't know if it comes through or not, but sometimes he asks a question and you're just like paralyzed, like can't think of, I mean, it's, it's just weird. Like the pressure that comes in there. So I know people listen to it. I, you know, I'm sure they do this to you too. They're like, Oh, I got seven right out of this one too. And I'm like, man, it's just different when you're in the hot seat and you're sitting there and you have to think in the moment. It's a weird experience. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, the worst ever was, and I think this just, I completely crumbled after I totally muffed on the softball thrown my way, which was the question about the 30 point buck, which yep. is like this song I religiously listened to all hunting season. I grew up on it and that that thing you just said, it happened exactly to me. Like it was, Remember this lyric from this song. So imagine like trying to remember a lyric from one of your favorite songs and that should be a piece of cake, right? And it just like my brain went to crap and nothing, there was no retrieval mechanism anywhere. And uh, from there, it was just all downhill. So it was not my day. But it, uh, dude, yeah. it's tough. I mean, it, and there's some categories, you know, when, when I'm on there and they're like, here's fishing, I'm like, oh, thank God. Because mm-hmm. Spencer's questions on fishing, I like, I, I feel usually pretty confident but then sometimes like the conservation or the food category oh yeah i'm just like i if there's a if there's a question about a food named after a city i'm gonna have the dumbest answer possible like i don't Mm -hmm. get those right and it drives me crazy yeah well it doesn't help that like you've got a lot of very competitive people like when you get like a group of folks where everyone likes to be the winner you're inevitably a going to get some fun banter and good competition, but yeah, some high, some high stress levels too. Well, I did, I did a discover a new thing that I really, really like, which is beating Cal at something like that. <laughs> Cause I've never competed against him before. Well, congratulations on that, Tony. You, you beat us <laughs> Cause he all. doesn't like, he doesn't like being wrong. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it was good though. It was fun. I, uh, I, uh, I enjoy getting the opportunity to get on there and talk some smack to Spencer and uh, yeah, no complaints about that. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, man. So trivia was fun. uh, But I, I gotta tell you that my little time away here, which has not been extravagant as you like to make it seem, but (laughs) my little bit of time away over the, uh, you know, a week here, a little time here over the (laughs) summer has me so like bubbling over with whitetail craziness that I could almost burst. The, I, I, I am high school Mark Kenyon that wants to buy every single hunting magazine on the Walmart shelf. I am uh, the college Mark Kenyon that wants to wake up early in the morning to watch the cheesy hunting shows even. Uh, <laughs> I, am, uh, I am that kid right now. So very, very excited for our discussion today. And uh, 
and kind of, I think the game plan is to kind of wrap up this series on scouting, right? What, what do you have, what do you have in mind here for how you want to kind of wrap up this month that you helped us lead? Man, just, just talking about, you know, some of the takeaways from the guests we had, you know, I mean, obviously you know, started with Andy and Andy May is just real consistent on, you know, delivering, you know, actionable ideas and strategies. And he's just, he's the kind of person that you just want to emulate him. You're just like, you talk to him and there's, there's so much intention in his, like his strategy it's just, I don't know. It's just fun. And, you know, and then had Clint Campbell in there too. And that dude's just a scouting machine out East and brings a, brings a pretty neat perspective. And then I really enjoyed talking to Adam Moore uh, about, you know, just down South. Like I'm, I'm in fact, I was texting with Andy today about, you know, what, what are the odds we could just put together some kind of late season, deep South hunt and just run down there in like January or February and just, you know, hit up Mississippi or Louisiana or somewhere. Cause I'm just, I, I don't know about you. And I, I know you've hunted down. I think you hunted in Alabama, what, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of the, the Southern whitetail thing is, is getting more and more appealing to me and I don't really know why. And so I, I just like, I mean, maybe it's the big woods thing. Um, but talking to Adam about that stuff was really cool. And then of course, getting Ted on, you know, we, we hear from the THP guys quite a bit but Ted's kind of one of those under the radar guys you don't hear from very often. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about what he talked about was so much of it was, yeah, you know, we checked out this spot, we checked out that spot, but then when they show up, they use sort of that baseline and it's like, we knew there were good bucks here, probably using this, probably doing this, probably doing that, but we had to adapt and it took us three days of observation and moving. And then we killed this buck and it was really cool. And here's why. And I love that kind of, I, I love those kind of stories because it's like you take people from, you know, the, the idea that we're in right now of like, go find them, go watch them, go start to get pictures or camera or, uh, you know, some observation, but it, there's a lot of daylight between that and actually filling a tag and hearing about how that works out for people, I think it's just, I don't know, it's kind of a powerful motivator. So I, I think I know the answer to this question, or at least I have my own thoughts on it. But I'm curious for you, because this, we almost should have talked before the series too, because what I'm curious about is when you were presented, you know, this idea like, hey, you could, you know, run with things in July. You could have tackled any kind of topic you wanted. You could have done a series on anything. And you chose to spend all of July focusing on scouting. That might not be the thing that's on most people's mind right now. So I'm curious, why? 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 I guess in, in short, why? Why was scouting the thing that you thought we really, as an audience, as a community, really need to like double and triple down on leading into the season? Because I think right now, like we're in full-blown ramp-up mode. We are less than... You know, we're almost just a touch over a month out from a bunch of openers. So why why scouting in the dead nuts middle of the summer should we be thinking about? Because I think it's probably the most underrated aspect of fill and tags. And I and I and I say that I I think a lot of people think they scout enough and they don't. And I think part of that is because it's so easy to hang trail cameras and and think that's enough. 
But to me, getting out there is so important. Like it's so important. And if you don't do it now, if you don't get some of that foundational stuff now, just the same thing. Like if you don't do it in February or March, you missed a window that matters. I, I, I just firmly believe that. And so I just wanted to, you know, I, I thought about doing something maybe on shooting or gear or whatever, but I think it's so beneficial to whitetail hunters to get into the mindset where you just don't scout enough. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. kind of think I've been listening to, uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts that are outside the hunting space and, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about fitness and a lot of people will say, you know, I found myself like not, not happy with, you know, my physical shape. Right. And so I'm like, oh, I'm 240 pounds and I want to get to 210 or whatever. Let's pick some arbitrary number. And then they get there and they go, well, good enough. I did the goal. And then they slide right back into their old routine. And the, and the thing about it is, is it's not, it's not just getting there. It's the maintenance that matters. Like it's, it's the lifestyle of like, I'm going to stay in shape. So I'm every week is a new challenge. I kind of look at scouting whitetails like pretty similarly where it's like, you know, we have these different time frames throughout the year where we're like, well, it's pretty important to go out there and see last season's rubs in March or whatever. Or it's pretty important to get those cameras out there now and get that inventory of the hit listers going. But it's it's not enough for most of us, especially if if you're hunting pressured ground or you're kind of always on the hunt for new spots on public. I don't think you can scout enough. I mean, I, th- I think the only situation where you can really overdo it is if you're super sloppy or you do you like are really restricted to small properties. Then I think you got to, play a little bit different game, but I think for a lot of us, it's just easy to think you're doing enough and you're probably not. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point. And, and one thing that has happened, and I don't know if this is a relatively recent thing or if it's always been like this, but we have in many ways, you know, defined different parts of the season as like, it's this season, it's this season. So like, you know, when February, March, April comes around. It's like, man, it's scouting season. Everyone's got to go out there, do your off-season scouting. So, I mean, rightly so, a lot of folks in our community have beaten the drum of off-season scouting when there's no greenery out there and the snow's starting to melt off. Like That is a great time to scout, no doubt about it. So everyone knows to pound the ground at that time of year. But to your point, you know, if someone's listening now and they haven't done that yet, it's really important to remember that it's not too late. And, and, and by that, I mean, like, of course, you want to be doing all that, but like the scouting shouldn't just start and end at that one time, which is the best time. It should continue all year round. It should be there, there's still stuff you can learn in the summer and you should keep on scouting all through the season. If there's anything I've learned over the last decade plus of knowing Andy May, it's the value of in-season scouting, like never stopping scouting. And I think that was really pounded home with this series was just the idea that, hey, it's July it's scouting season. And guess what? Two months from now, when your season kicks off, it's scouting season. And this is something that, you know, we could have ran this series in September and it would have been just as relevant as important, you know, as it is now, as it could have been if we ran it in February. Oh, for sure. And I, and I think, I think it's important to, to kind of just like clarify that it's, it doesn't have to be like, and, and I know we say this a lot, but it doesn't have to be like this terminator endeavor where it's like i'm getting into the woods and I, i'm looking at this waypoint this waypoint this point point i'm checking these spots out and like 
it, it doesn't have to be like a militant like exercise. It has to be just something that is built into your life. Because I've noticed with me, like I think there's like two really distinct advantages there is if you get into the habit of just like, I'm, I got to go check this spot out or I, I, I got to go out tonight and watch or, you know, I'm just going to go drop a trail camera here or whatever, whatever little tasks you're going to do on any given day. It's so much easier for me to go, oh, okay, well, the conditions changed here. So what I thought from when I was here in March or April, I got to rethink this, this part. And it just, it helps me like frame up my plan for the season and just get into the mode where I sort of expect some changes and I expect things to just be a little bit different or not work out the way I want them to. And that's okay. Like it's, I think it's easier to adapt than just being like, well, I'm going to take one long Saturday in July and I'm going to scout and I'm going to hang a bunch of stands and that's going to be good. Uh, I just, I don't think that's the best method. I think it's better to be in the habit of like, I'm going to do a little bit each week or every couple of days and just accumulate a better strategy. That's like evolving with the conditions. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So this topic is super, uh, exciting for me right now. Uh, the idea of scouting properties, especially new properties, scouting old properties is is still very valuable. And it's always a good idea as, as I'm not telling you anything new, but, uh, you know, looking at old properties with new eyes and clear eyes is always a good idea. Always keeping up to speed on what's changing. What have you missed? Yada, yada, yada. But it's hard to beat the blank slate when you come onto a new piece of public or private that you have access to, and you just have to figure it out. I mean, it's just like a brand new puzzle poured out on the table in front of you and it's, it's all fresh, all new. The sky is the limit. Uh Um, and I actually just got that. I got access to a new property that I am very excited about. It is 200 acres, which is by far the biggest piece of private land. I've, well, I guess that's not entirely true, but one of the biggest pieces I've ever had access to in Michigan, at least um, half of it's just a big open field, but the back half, so about a hundred acres ish is like really good. It, it looks really good at least. Um, but this is all based on e-scouting because this is a piece that like I've not been to, but it's been something I've known someone has, you know, access to, they manage it. And, and I thought maybe someday and it finally came together. So I haven't got to walk it yet. I've just been able to study maps obsessively, and now I actually do have the opportunity to walk it when I get back in town. And uh, you know, 100 acres of primo whitetail ground in an awesome area that uh, just screams like great terrain, pinch points, and funnels, and good food, and good bedding, and all that kind of stuff. That amazing playground of whitetail goodness is like right in front of me, and I am. So excited, Tony, to start scouting it and learning it and figuring out this new piece. Like I am ecstatic uh, to dive into this. I'm excited is what I'm trying to get across. And uh, so right now, I'm just doing step one of what a lot of folks scouting efforts is, which is lots and lots of just staring at the map and thinking about different things, going from like big picture, like zooming way out and looking at the aerial and thinking about, you know, where does this property fit in the big scheme of things? Like where does this fit? in the larger landscape. How do pe- or how do deer move in and off of this block, the square mile block? Like where does this stand? And then, you know, zooming way in and thinking about, okay, what's going on in this little corner where the creek comes around the bend and it seems like there's a a drop in topography here and 
this looks like a wet spot based on this map. But if you flip over to another app and look at that, like, well, is that wet or is that just like a CRP grass? Or you know what I mean? Where you're sitting mm-hmm. and dissecting every little bit. Um, I love that. Um, so uh, what about this? Maybe this is useful. Maybe this isn't, Tony. Um, but what do you think about taking the ideas that you and that all of us learned from Andy, Adam, Clinton, Ted over the last month? And what if we filter it through this example? Like, what if we walk through everything that I have to do over the coming months? And then you and I kind of think, okay, well, what would, what would Andy, what, what can you take from Andy when it comes to the summer scouting? Or what would you do, Tony, when it comes to when I show up there on day one and get to walk for the first time? You think that might be a useful exercise to kind of illustrate some of the stuff we're talking about here? Um, sure. As I, yeah. as I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, aloud here. I have to say though, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, jealous and I'm, it makes me a little bit sad because very briefly here, I thought I had permission on a new place and I can feel like that permission is not going to actually happen. And so this high that you're in of like e-scouting and getting ready to go see this property and do this stuff, I was like right on the cusp of that. And now I feel depressed and sad because <laughs> I think, I think I'm not going to get it just by the way the landowner's kind of acting. And so it makes me a little sad. I'm sorry, buddy. That's the thing. Those like these acts, if you don't own your own land, these private permission type things are so fleeting, right? So it's so exciting when you get permission on a new piece, but then you also need to like hold it lightly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Cause oh, you yeah. know, like at any moment it could be gone. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to appreciate this because it, you know, who knows it might be just this season. Heck. I mean, by the time this airs, who knows? Maybe I won't even have it then. But for this, for this brief moment in time, I can look at a map and think to myself, I will hopefully be able to hunt this spot in a couple months. And that is a good feeling. Yeah. Um, Ride that so high, buddy. I'm going to. I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. Um, so, so, you know, something you guys didn't talk about a lot in the series with the crew was the e-scouting side of things. There wasn't a ton of emphasis on that. Um, but I, I would, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think all of them would probably look at that as a very, very important first step to being efficient in any of their efforts on the ground after that. Wouldn't you say? Sure. I absolutely. And it, you know, <clears throat> that was sort of intentional uh, because I didn't, I feel like we've covered e-scouting quite a bit and I I feel like e-scouting is so valuable in some ways, but it doesn't matter unless you're willing to do the other part. You know, it's kind of like kind of like trail cameras. Like I feel like trail cameras can be so valuable, but you have to do that other part. Otherwise, it just doesn't matter the same way. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. It's it's like a both of those tools can make your efforts on the ground more efficient, I think is the biggest thing. Like they, yep. they provide really good starting points. They provide like really good anchors. You know, if we're, if we're looking at a puzzle, like, okay, take that puzzle analogy I mentioned earlier. You dump a new puzzle out onto the table. Very exciting. Um, if you didn't have any flat pieces or corner pieces, it would be a lot harder to get that puzzle going. But since you've got those corner pieces and those flat sides, you've got somewhere to start. You know, like, okay, all of these flat sides, all these corners, I know where that goes. I think that's kind of how e-scouting or trail cameras, you know, come into the mix is they give you those starting points, those anchor points where you know something. I now know this, but you, you can't extrapolate that to knowing everything. So I know a corner piece, 
That does not mean I know what the entire center looks like. So the same thing goes for when you look at, you know, I'm looking at the aerial of that new property and I see a really cool looking, you know, cover, thin strip of cover that winds its way through a big open field that screams out, you know, pinch point, screams yep. out a cover funnel that, man, there should be deer cruising that in the rut from that thick cover down in the southeast up to the thick cover up to the northwest. Um, but if I don't show up on the ground and fact check that, you got to you got to proof it. You got to confirm if you don't, there's, there, you know, it might work out. But then you also might waste a lot of time. So I think, you know, the way I look at e-scouting is the same way I know you do um, is, you know, you're, you're getting those starting points. You're marking a bunch of places that you think this, this should be high quality. This could be really good. And then when you go out there on the ground, you're not walking willy nilly blindly everywhere. You can go and hit those spots, you know, efficiently and fact check and, and use our limited time the best possible way. For sure. And it's, you know, the e-scouting thing, I mean, part of the reason it's so cool is it does give you, I mean, it just does give you like a really good idea of what you're going to run into, but there's nothing like seeing it in person. And so, you know, you pick out a spot and you do this with a property like you're talking about, or you go travel somewhere to hunt and you pick out a spot and you walk in there. And sometimes it is as good as you expect. And that's such a rush. Yeah. And sometimes you walk in and you're like, this is definitely not it, but it's like a e-scouting. And then your first like ground truthing trip in there, it's like being a gambling addict or something. You're like, I'm just like waiting for that high of the, of both things coming together where what I believed it to be, and then seeing it actually be that or something even more, maybe it's pounded more with deer tracks or sign or something. So there's like, there's like a neat motivation to it. Once you put in enough time e-scouting, it just makes the whole process of ground truthing that much more fun. Yeah. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via 
convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. So tell me this really quickly. You know, when, when I what I'm doing on the e-scouting side is I'm doing those two things I mentioned. I'm looking at the big picture, like trying to understand where this property fits into the larger landscape. And then I'm also zooming in and thinking very, you know, uh, close or what, you know, I'm thinking micro here and thinking to myself, okay, this block of timber looks like it connects in here and looks like there might be bedding here. It looks like there's a hill here, yada, yada, yada. But so I do, I spend a lot of time picking this apart and then I'm marking all my different areas of interest. I'm marking like, man, this looks like a good pinch point. Put it away point and I'll label it like good pinch point question mark. And then I'll find a spot that I think, man, I bet you this would be a great stand site because of this and this. And so I'll put, you know, stand site question mark. And I'll have all of these question marks scattered all over the property before I ever step foot. So I try to find like where I think good bedding could be. I, I try to mark where I think, you know, good travel quarters could be. I will mark where I think there might be a creek cross, all of these different things. So that when I show up, that first day, what I'm going to do is, you know, perfect world. This would be in the, you know, February, March, April timeframe. But in my case is going to be dead of the summer. And I'm going to go out there on day one. And that's going to be cover as much of the place as I can and, and really make sure I hit those priority points that I marked. And the whole time I walk a new property, I have my phone out and I'm matching up where I am on the map to what it looks like on the ground so that I can, as I'm walking, I'm like, okay, here I am. And this is that little block with the with the point and that little ditch that runs through it. And now I'm seeing with my own eyes what it actually looks like. And I'm looking at the map and I'm seeing, okay, this is what the map looks like. This is what the ground looks like. So that by the end of that day, and I'm doing this kind of every other day I'm out there scouting, I'm constantly bouncing back and forth between those two things. So that eventually by season or next season or whenever it is, I have like a two layer map in my mind where I know like when I'm standing here, this is where I am in the map in my mind. And this is what it looks like on the ground. Do you do something similar? Yeah, man. I, not only that, but I've also started using the, uh, what is it? The track feature? What is the one that, that, yeah, dude, or the tracks feature. I've been using that like crazy when I go in and I, you know, if I'm looking at a spot and I get in there and I'm like, yep, I'm definitely going to hunt this. I will walk out the way that I think I need to access it. I'll run that track feature and I'll actually time how long it takes me to go out now. And I'll make a note of that. Hmm. 
Let's so when it. I show up there, I, I did this for one week in November uh, that we're going to drop this fall. And the stand that I ended up um, having a pretty good hunt out of in Wisconsin, even though it was like a, I mean, maybe a couple hundred yards and, and probably two thirds of that was through an open field, but I didn't want to expose ourselves getting in there because it was going to be tight. And I wanted to take a very specific route through the woods to get to the stand. So I didn't lay down any scent where the deer probably were going to come from. And so even, even though I could have walked there in the dark, I mean, without hardly thinking about it, using that feature was just so nice to be like, you are exactly on the line you want to, you know, the line that I created in the daylight. Yeah. And I started doing that on when I'm looking at new properties and, and new places. And it gives me so much more confidence to go back in there and actually hunt just the way I want to. Yeah. I've done that in like some nasty hell holes where like, if you don't cross at this draw in this one spot, like you're going to be cliffed out or something crazy, you know? Yep. Um, but I've never paid attention to timing it. And that timing thing actually is kind of a nice thing to know. Um, as far as like when you're trying to plan, all right, how early do I need to get up? What time do I need to be at the trailhead or what time do I need to be parked at the you know, side of the road and know, like, okay, it's going to take me exactly 23 minutes at, you know, expected walking speed during the season to get to my stand. That would be a smart thing to time out, at least for someone that's as uh, type A as me who likes to know exactly what time well, to get somewhere. You probably don't need to do it because you get out there, what, four or five hours before first light? <laughs> Not quite, but I do get out there pretty early. But I, th- I think that stuff, part of it comes from just like, you know, think about how often you go out and you hang a set. And you're like, man, I'm coming back here tomorrow morning. The deer were definitely here. And you're like, it's an easy walk. I go across the wetland here and I just look for this big oak tree. And then you go out there in the dark and you're like, oh, son of a bitch. Like everything's different. And even if you're off by like 10 feet, you might make 20 times as much noise as you'd make if you just stayed on the right course. And I know that it probably doesn't sound that important to a lot of people, but if you do a lot of mobile hunting and you hunt mornings a lot, Man, that trick is like, it's just so worth getting in the habit. Let me say that. Yeah. So, so after that first, back to my example here, after that first walkthrough where I'm going to go through and and cover as much as I can with the time I have um, while trying to map my mind to like what I see on the ground to what I see on the map, I'm going to be that first day or if it's a weekend or whatever the amount of time I have is, I'm going to try to get like that big picture overview of like, here's everything. And here's, I confirmed all the things I thought I knew and I crossed off the things that didn't end up being what they really were. Um, But probably in that first day or first weekend, assuming I have time, in this case, I do have time. I'm not going to be trying to scout for like the kill spot in that. I'm just trying to collect. I'm trying to collect, 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 collect. And then I will come back at a later date and I will do like my fine tune scouting, which will be like, I'm going to take that time after my big picture scout and I'm going to think a lot and I'm going to look at the map again a lot and try to think through all the things I learned. And again, kind of think, okay, big picture. Here's what I now know. And micro level. Here's what I now know and really start fine tuning. Okay. Given all that, where do I think the best locations will be for the early season? Where do I think those best locations will likely be for middle of October and, and kind of just think through my season. And maybe I'll also learn like, man, this just isn't going to be an early season spot, or this isn't going to be an October spot. This is maybe it's only going to be a peak rut or maybe it's, for whatever reason, maybe this is going to be a place that, geez, it's, it's probably not going to be that great until gun season 
pushes all the deer out of everywhere else and funnels them all into here, whatever it is, I will then try to think through, okay, what are those places that I need to have prepped to start hunting season as like those starting points? And then I'll go back out prior to the season, still in the summer. And I'm going to try to scout for a handful of starting point stands. So knowing that I'm going to learn and scout a lot in season, but I want to have some places prepped ahead of time so that I've got something to start with to observe and adjust from. So then I'm going to go out there and I'll maybe I'll mark, let's just hypothetically say that I find like a sweet little bedding area coming off of a hilltop that drops down to this ag field. And I can see old, a bunch of old rubs from last season. And there's a ditch crossing that drops right into this little skinny finger of what's now standing corn. And I'll think, man, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a big buck bedded off of that point, And I wouldn't be surprised if he drops down off of this point and comes down and kind of mills around in this transition area after he crosses that ditch here, that might not be a bad place to hunt him in October. So let's just hypothetically say I find a place like that after my big picture scouting and my e-scouting. Now I'm going to come back in in August and like try to find the spot within that spot. So I'm going to go in there and then I'm going to do some fine tuned scouting. I'm going to walk that area thoroughly, really think through, okay, is this, is this the exact spot on the ditch that I think is most likely for deer to cross and yada, yada, yada. And that would be what I would play out a handful of times across this property. And I would want all of this done, you know, in as few trips as possible. So I would probably, it'll probably be like one big picture scouting day, like I talked about. And then it will probably be one, you know, fine tuning scouting day, like I'm discussing in which I will pick these spots and prep a few spots. And then I'll probably hang cameras. And that will probably be what I will start with until we get to the next phase of my scouting. Does any of that bring any questions to mind or additional thoughts as far as, you know, a last minute kind of scouting and prepping situation that I'm in here? Um, One thing that you said right at the beginning of that, that makes me question a lot of what you do is. Oh, really? You said that you're going to go in and not look for kill spots right away. Well, well no. But, go ahead. but sorry, uh, it's not that I'm not looking for them, but it's that I'm trying to be in like big picture. I'm trying to be a vacuum of everything right now. Of course, like I will be paying attention to spots that stand out. If there'll be a spot, I'm sure like I will see things that, man, this is a kill spot, but I'm not going to spend six hours in that one spot fine tuning it. I will be like, okay, man, this looks awesome. I'm going to grid it a little bit more and then, okay, keep moving. Got to move to the next place because I'm planning on doing the deep dive the next time I come. Does that make okay. sense? <clears throat> yeah. For for a little while there, I was like, oh, I think I need to explain to Mark what deer scouting is for. Because <laughs> I was like, I think he's confused. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to look for a good spot to kill a big buck yet. <laughs> no, it, it's just like wow, the level of time I'm going to spend at certain parts of this process. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you, do you know that that field is planted in corn? I do know that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I do know that what I don't know is like, there looks like there might be some that's in CRP or this, or just too wet for crops. So I don't know how much is planted and how much is kind of set aside. Ooh, now, um, you're, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping there is some of that stuff. Cause it looks like in the maps that some of it is like that. Um, and you, but you can also see like when you go to different maps or different apps, they've got different, uh, date ranges for when the aerial photography was taken. I can see sometimes where it looks like it was planted and sometimes when it was not planted. So I just don't know what it is this year. So 
Interesting. That is interesting. Um, I'm still jealous. I'm actually a little more jealous now. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. You were talking a decent bit with Ted there at the end about his trail camera strategy. And I think you talked to, oh gosh, Clint a little bit about his trail cam strategy, especially like summer to fall and that kind of stuff when it comes to scouting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I thought that something that Ted said really resonated with me um, or an example he shared at least. And that being, you know, how he ended up, there was a property. So hopefully folks heard this last week, but if not, I'll give you the very quick cliff notes. Um, him, Ted and I think Aaron or someone were out hunting a new property and they'd put a trail camera out on this little fence line, I think, or a trail that they thought would be good. And they let it run through late summer into like just before opening day. And they had a group of bucks that was on there like over and over and over, really well patterned. Um, and then when they checked the camera, like just prior to opening day, they saw like they're here, 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 here. And then like, the last like few days or the last week or something, they totally disappeared. And what Ted and Aaron did was rather than saying, oh, the bucks are completely gone or just thinking, oh man, you know, it's all blown up and move off to some other property. They asked why, like they thought, okay, well, why aren't the bucks here and where must they be now? And they, they use that again, like kind of like the puzzle piece thing. You know, if this piece does not fit into a corner, it must fit somewhere else. And so in this case, they thought, well, if the bucks are not on trail camera here anymore, they must be somewhere different. And so let's think about where else they could have pivoted to and what additional information do we need? So they, they use a camera not to say, oh, the buck was here yesterday. I'm going to kill him here and kill them there. They instead said the bucks used to be here. Now we know they are not here. That will force us to move away from what we thought was good and scout this new area which led them to this ridge that was tore up a sign and that confirmed, Oh, this is where they are. They hunted there. They killed the deer. Um, did that kind of like, did that make you smile the way it made me smile? Yeah. But dude, that story, that is just, and I might love it cause it's kind of concert uh, confirmation bias for me. Cause I'm really getting into that kind of mindset about almost all of my hunting where instead of going to find the easy one, I f- I'm trying to find a concentration of animals and just work them, you know, whether it's elk or turkeys or whitetails or whatever. And that was such a prime example that he told of just having them dialed, losing them and finding them again and killing one. Yeah. And the, the beauty of it is they didn't fill in the blanks. Like they didn't go, well, they're nocturnal or somebody must have bumped them out. They, they had so much faith in their scouting. They said something changed. And we're just going to figure it out. And they did. And I think that lesson is like way poignant. And I, I'll tell you what, I've been I've been over in uh, northern Wisconsin quite a bit recently scouting and catching a few trout and doing, you know, looking for some bears with the girls or whatever. But we, we've been we've been scouting quite a bit over there and the the woods over there right now are almost like unwalkable. The, the way the winter happened last year with super heavy, wet snow, it's like so many trees or treetops fell down. And then so many of the right aged, you know, kind of like poplar type trees are bent like completely over to the ground. And so, you know, like I'll, I'll give you an example just to frame this up. We went to fish the stretch of this brook trout stream. I've fished dozens of times, just a nice little stretch. It's got nice rock walls. Just it's like a nice, picturesque, beautiful little brook trout stream. We walked in there and started fishing, and for most of it, 
you couldn't hit the water because it was there was so much uh so many trees over the water now it was like an underground tunnel and i i I know it sounds like i'm exaggerating it was a nightmare and then i went into other spots that i hunt over there just to look around and it's like i'm hunting a different kind of property and so I know from years and years of hunting there and just seeing the general population, I'm like, okay, those deer are still here. I got to work them differently than I'm used to. So if I was living off of, you know, 10 years of hunting experience there, it's not the same now. It's going to be a totally different hunt. So yeah, when you, when you think about, okay, mother nature could hand you that. And, and basically, like you said earlier, kind of give you a blank slate. It's not a new property, but it's, it's, damn well might it might as well be you know what i mean or you might get a situation where those bucks just decide that they're gonna go eat acorns one ridge over and your job whether you're in either spot figure it out you know they're there you you're doing some of the foundational work to to get yourself in a good spot when mother nature throws you a little curveball like that it's like okay what do we do how do we figure this out instead of just making up a reason or just saying, well, I'm going to come back when it's the rut or the pre-rut or whatever. I'm like, no, you got to go now and work through that stuff. That's that's like the beauty of deer hunting. That's why whitetails are so fun. Yeah. And and I think, well, I guess I have a question. How would you, in a situation like that, then, like, where does your, when you're set back to square one to a degree, how, if at all, will cameras be involved in your re-scouting of it knowing that you know we're, we're trying to avoid the temptation to be overly dependent on them which i think is you know i'm gonna go on a brief tangent here um so remember that question tony but <laughs> I, I feel like if you listen especially the last like, year or two years as cell cameras have become ubiquitous like just everyone has them now you've just you hear now so, 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 so many of the stories you hear are, well, I waited until he showed up on my cell cam. He came in that day and then I went after him, hunted him and, you know, either you saw him or you didn't or you killed him or you didn't. But there's a lot of people doing that now. Um, and I think without a doubt, like these cameras are great tools, but it's so important to remember that they are this tiny little snapshot of a much, 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 much big bigger picture so again the puzzle analogy a cell camera gives you one single piece of the thousand piece puzzle if your entire hunting strategy is based on whether or not that single puzzle or single piece in the thousand piece puzzle is flashing on that given day and saying hey i'm here um you are missing so 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 much and i think there's a lot of people that are being tempted to believe that that's all you need to know is put a sweet little cell camera out in a cool little spot and wait till it gives you that ping um, and I think while sometimes like, I know there are stories of that being successful, but if you, that is your thing going into the season, you are going to be hitting a hard wall many, many, many times and missing a lot. Yep. I mean, sure. I, you know, I, I look at them. I'm actually a little more excited for trail cameras this year than I usually am, at least over there, because I don't know how those deer are getting through that stuff, but I know they are. And so even even just what i saw when we were when we were trout fishing that spot before we turned around and went to a different spot the difference between the trees that were big enough to weather that winter 
and not become this tangled jungle is tangible. And so you used to have, you know, I mean, thousands of acres of that. It's big woods. And now you have these these areas that are just so gnarly. They'll function as a bedding area, maybe some browse or whatever, but those deer are probably going to be traveling through a certain type of woods more. And at least I suspect that. So I'm going to run some cameras and find out. And if I get, you know, between now and whenever I get a chance to go over there and hunt, if I get some confirmation of that, it's not necessarily like, oh, you know, I've gotten pictures of this buck going through here once a week for six weeks. I'm going to go hunt him. It's just a clue into how they're using that terrain. And I, I think that's just important. But it's again, it's just this complementary piece of the bigger puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think that, uh, you know, hunting this new property, it's going to be the same thing for me. I'm going to go out there in the summer and put up some cameras, but it's going to be simply to, you know, I'm going to place cameras. This will probably be August when I'm doing this. Um, I'm going to be putting up cameras in places, you know, to get me in-season information, um, but I'm not going to be getting a picture in August and then thinking, oh man, this buck showed up five days in a row in this spot and then think I'm going to go there and kill him on October 5th or whatever. Um, I'm going to go in there simply trying to confirm like what's around, what are some general ideas I can get about maybe a trend or maybe just how deer use certain areas. But I'm going to be depending on that as just like a very small piece of the larger picture that then I'll have to figure out based on what I learned in those first couple of days of summer scouting, but then really learning a lot on the go you know, hunting, yep. that's going to be scouting my way in to whatever I'm hunting on every given day. It's going to be basically every hunt will be a scouting session and probably doing some, you know, begin a little exterior, observe, adjust, observe, adjust, and slowly learn my way as I go scouting with a bow in my hand. Um, and then every once in a while getting those camera pictures that will then give me a little bit of color that I think camera, if you look at those pictures as like adding color to, you know, it's like you're reading a book and then there's a color photo in there. It's pretty nice, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. You got to read what's on the pages there. And so I will appreciate the color photography throughout the book to illustrate things a little bit more, to, to add a little bit more flavor to what I'm, you know, how I'm interpreting things. Um, But give me the text and I'm going to be getting that, you know, every day when I'm out there, it's going to be, getting on the road and glassing with a spotting scope as many evenings as I can. If there's any kind of opening I can see, or if there's like a neighboring field where I can see down into a CRP patch, or if I can, you know, if there's a bean field in August, I'll be checking that out just to know like what's out here. What's the deer density uh, at this point of the year? What's uh, what does the age structure look like at this time of the year? Knowing that, that, you know, some of that's going to change, but some of that will give you a big picture idea of like, okay, this area has a ton of does and very few older bucks. That might, you know, sort of translate, at least gives me a starting point of, of how to think about things as I get into the season. Um, so long distance observation, it's going to be scouting on foot. It's going to be observing from the stand. It's going to be, you know, as much as I possibly can make it be, you know, similar to the Andy May model or the Jesse Coots model or the Justin Wright model, uh, the Ted. It's the scout more, hunt less, hunt smarter, not you know, beat him over the head with time on stand.
Can I say something? We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Something about that too, because when you were talking about that, it reminded me of, I I don't, I actually don't remember if Andy had, Andy and I had this conversation on the podcast or we had it in the many, many hours we spent in my boat trying to catch some bass. But Andy talks about woodsmanship all the time. And you and I have talked about this a lot. And that's like a, I don't know. It's sort of a blanket term that really doesn't mean that much to a lot of people. Cause you know, when we talk about, you know, okay, I'm going to long distance glass, I'm going to run cameras and I'm going to get in there and I'm going to ground truth this stuff. It sounds like a complete plan to figure out what the deer do. Right. And so it's like, is that woodsmanship? Kinda. But one of the things, when you think about the example with Ted, you know, those guys had that bachelor group dialed in, it disappeared but they knew where there were some oak trees that those deer might have moved to. That's so important. And I know it seems dumb, 
but they didn't panic when they lost those deer. They just said, what's the likely culprit for pulling these deer away? And the more time that you spend in the woods, like we had this experience just, just recently when we were over there in Wisconsin, uh, we were actually driving back from this spot we were fishing and it's, it, I don't hunt this place. This is a private place, but it's really close to this huge chunk of public land that I do hunt. And we were just driving by and I saw this doe off the road. So we pulled over to look at her and I was shooting a few photos of her and she was just munching away on this bush. And as I zoomed in with my camera, I'm like, oh, she's eating raspberries. And I've never seen, I, like in my life, I've never watched a deer walk up to ripe raspberries and just eat the crap out of them. And I was like, I, I actually wrote about this for foundations that's coming up here. I mean, just spending more time out there exposes you to things like that. We actually saw three Tom turkeys eating on the same raspberry bush, which is fascinating to me. But when you think about it, you know, I've been hunting whitetail since I was 12. If you just said, hey, Tony, do you think deer eat raspberries? I'd be like, I don't know, probably. Because seems like something they would do, yeah. but I'd never actually observed it. And then now I'm thinking, I've had times, especially in states where it, you know, the the opener is in like September, where I'll be walking down the trail over there, and I'll see raspberries or blackberries or some kind of berry, and just assume that it was bears eating them. You know, sometimes you can tell it was bears or whatever, but I'm like, I've never considered a berry as any kind of whitetail draw in my life. And it maybe really doesn't play into the season that much, but for scouting, it might. And it was just one of those little moments where I was like, ah, I just have so much left to learn. Like there's so much that I don't know about their life. And I think that when you look at scouting, the way we've been talking about it, you, you learn those things like, yes, deer on this property use this ridge to go from point A to B or deer on this property, like to bed in this CRP. Cause it's a badass spot to bed. But there's so much more out there to learn. And the more time you spend observing in person and walking through and running those cameras, the more you just figure out like what their daily lives are like. And I think that's so important. Yeah. And man, this is going to be for people that have listened to the podcast for a long time. They're going to roll their eyes because they've heard both of us say this like 200 times. But, but it's just so true. And it's the fact that this, um, this I, I think this woodsmanship ability, I think one way to think about it is kind of like uh, getting a new pair of glasses is the way at least it's been for me. So like when I first started, like I, I deer hunted, I've, I've deer hunted since I was a little kid, but I, you know, followed kind of a family program that was like very, very, very basic. And for, you know, a long time, that's all I ever knew. And so I was like walking through the woods wearing like, the blurriest, fuzziest, cruddiest, cheap gas station glasses you could ever get. I could see the basic things. Like I knew enough basics to know like this is a deer trail. I could see a deer trail. I knew what a rub was. I knew a rub was a rub equals good. And so I could see a couple things like that. But I just I didn't have enough context and experience having seen a bunch of different places, having seen a bunch of deer, having been able to confirm what deer do in real life. I didn't have enough to actually even consume like all the stuff was around me. But I couldn't even really see it because I was just focused on it. The only thing I was like to focus on were the rubs and the trails and these basic things. And then, you know, I learned a little bit more and I started getting a lot more serious about it. And then all of a sudden, like, I got a little bit better prescription glasses. And then when I was out there in the woods, like, all of a sudden, like, I was noticing, oh, that's an oak tree. And that means there could be some good food here. And then I could start to notice, okay, these are, 
you know, fresher tracks. So that means this was more recent sign. That's a good thing. And then, you know, let's fast forward to now, you know, 15 years since then. Now I've got, I feel like super high definition, very clear glasses where all of a sudden the world is a totally different world now that I'm looking at when I walk in the woods. I'm seeing all the little details. I understand all these little details. But if someone's listening today and if they are where I was 15 years ago, you just there's there's so much out there. You, you won't even be able to pick it up without the time out there and without diversity of experience. So this is the cliche thing, which is that you and I, Tony, always talk about the value of going to new places and like just exposing yourself to new places where you can see different deer habitat, different deer behavior, different everything. The more you do that, I think the more the acuity and the clarity of your your woodsmanship glasses improves to the point where you can finally actually, you know, start picking up on all these little fine-tuned things that when you scout do make a big difference, but 15 years ago, like I could have listened to all these very same things and I just would have walked through the woods and like, I'd be overwhelmed with just the basics. You would never be able to get to the point where you could recognize the little things that matter. Cause you're still trying to figure out the big picture things that matter. Um, so this is a long witted way of saying yes to what you're saying, Tony, which is spend lots and lots and lots of time out there, just consuming as much of the real world stuff as possible. And diversify as much as possible. So go to new properties, scout new areas, go to new regions, yada, yada, yada. Cause all of that is the only way that I know of to actually be able to scout and understand what you're seeing in any kind of real actionable way, which is, I think how you develop this woodsmanship. Yeah. And it, I would, I would take it even a step further and say, you, you, you have to be open to all kinds, like learning about all kinds of stuff. And so when you, when I talk about like that raspberry example, I, I probably will never kill a deer on a raspberry pattern. Like I just <laughs> probably never going to have, I, I just think it do. was interesting, but it also put me in a spot where I found some apple trees that were absolutely loaded with half grown apples. And that might come into play at some point, but it's also just a reminder to me you know, like I, I pointed this out uh, to my little girls when we were we were in a spot in the woods. We just hit this spot where there were there was so much browse. Like you could see that there's just tops were nipped off all over. And the more that you find stuff like that, the more it just like picks your curiosity a little bit. And you're like, what is what is this plant and why are they eating it? And I think that feeds everything. Like you you talked about a you know, like, oh, a ditch crossing or a, something earlier in this conversation. You know, one of the things I think about with stuff like that is we think about scouting and you go out and you're like, I'm going to walk this river and I'm going to find a good crossing and I'm going to set up a stand on there. And I'm going to kill one or I'm going to walk that ditch and I'm going to find where they cross it. Now, how often do you do that or how often have you done that set up and you're like, I am on a pounded crossing they are all going to come through here. And what happens is a spike in, you know, three does walk through there. And then the two big ones cross at a secondary crossing, right. you know, 60 yards downwind and bust you. Yeah. And you could have walked to that. <laughs> you could have just said, you know, this spot looks real good, but just in case I'm going to check the rest of it out. And maybe you walk, you know, 50, 60 yards down there and you find another trail that has way bigger tracks in it and you go, okay, here's, 
way more information. And then instead of just thinking the job is, is good enough because you found what you think you're supposed to find. Yeah. And that's, that's even more relevant, but also tricky if this is an in-season scouting situation, you know, where you are hunting a new place and you're learning it as you go. And then you're scouting along, you know, and then you find the spot and you're like, man, this looks pretty good. But so there's the temptation of, okay, this looks great. If I go any further, you might blow it up. But at the same time, are my settling? Uh, if I go further and then it's not as good that I, did I just then leave my scent everywhere? And then I got to go back to where I was and settle there. Um, I mean, all of that is like the constant, constant, uh, mental gymnastics we have to, uh, navigate while trying to figure this out when you're actually trying to kill something at the same time too. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that kind of leads back to, you know, Ted's story about killing that buck the way they did the, the way that they moved in, I guess it's not the one that you're talking about. He, he talked about one that was in a, uh, using a little wooded draw on a small walk-in property and how they kind of, you know, work their way in until they observe like, man, every buck that comes through here seems to go right through the middle of this little shoot of timber and I, I think about that stuff so much because, you know, he kind of just glossed it over because that's what those guys do is they just observe, move, observe, move and kill. But it's so important. And there's like two lessons there. Like you don't, you know, it, like you said, in in-season scouting trip, like, yeah, you want to be careful. You don't want to stomp all over there. So you might, you might not get that crossing right. Like you might just say, I'm not pushing this any further and I'm going to sit here and and who knows, right? But which which is a safe way to do it and sometimes you're just going to make mistakes and and who cares but it's it's like a good mindset to get into but the other part of it that with like Ted's example was they had something that was very limited that the deer wanted to use which was cover and I keep thinking about this with my scouting where like you know he's talking walk-in stuff in Iowa so trees are king right like they they got food everywhere They've got water in a lot of spots. What they don't have in many areas of Iowa is cover. So that's real important to manage your presence there. You focus on that rarity. You move in. You, you, you're real careful. You handle it with kid gloves. Now you think about, you know, like where I've been scouting in northern Wisconsin, there's no shortage of cover. It's freaking everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's not rare. It doesn't matter. So what is rare? Not water. So it's like some certain kinds of food and some elevation. And you just look at it and go, okay, now when I'm scouting, yeah, I want to be better at woodsmanship. I want to find this spot and this crossing and whatever. Yep. But also just thinking like, what what is a limited factor here that deer are really going to like? You know, And you and I have both hunted places where that might be water and that dumbs the things down a lot. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, Andy talked about this, Clint talked about this, Adam talked about this, like, how does it play into each part of the season? You know, like, cause you're not only hunting the rut or most of us aren't. So if something's rare, you know, if I'm out there in July or August and I'm like, this thing's real rare, maybe I can use it, you know, like timber covers, not going to change water might not change. It might food will change a lot, but what, what is it going to mean for me if I have an October one opener versus you know, being out there on Halloween or being out there in the late season and thinking through the stuff you find through the scope of an entire season, you know, like 
that puts you again, like on such a good foundation, even if you do plan to go mobile and in-season scout a whole bunch, the more you think about that and the more you work to that kind of season long plan and those, those rare features out there that deer want to, they're, they're going to need, man, when that stuff starts to come together, like you, you find yourself having a lot fewer sits where you blank. Yeah. So what, what if any other major takeaways did you have coming out of this month that we haven't covered yet? Is there any other major thing that you feel like needs to be hit on again um, to make sure that everyone kind of captured those key points? I think you got to learn to, if not love it, at least really like it. Like when you, when you talk to Andy, you talk to some of these guys, they, even though the scouting thing in the summer can really suck, like you're going to, I mean, you're going to get, stung by bees eventually you're going to be hot and sweaty and it's going to be nasty and you know if you ask my daughter you're going to get you know you're going to hit stinging needles not nettles um (laughs) like you're going to have shitty stuff out there but that find that information you know even jumping that buck out of that little swale or something it's always worth it and so you got to learn you know like you're a runner you've been running some half marathons like Everybody, I'm sure you have this conversation 10 times a month where people are like, I hate running. I can't do it. It's like, nobody likes running. Like, I mean, we like how it makes us feel. Right. But, you know, there very few people are like, I just love the process of running. Like, I feel so, it's so fun to run. You're like, no, like, that's not, it's not what it's about. It's about like the reward. It's like the result. Like it's a good, positive thing to do. And if you learn to tolerate it or you learn to like not hate it, it eventually becomes a pretty good lifestyle choice. Yeah. And I think with scouting, you know, kind of like the all day sits, like people talk a big game, but it's not that easy right off the bat to just love that process. But if you can learn to get to a point, and, it, and this is why right at the beginning I said like, man, if you can take little bite-sized chunks of this stuff versus you know, one eight hour stand hanging marathon or whatever, every three months, the whole process is way, way better. And you just, you learn to just love it more. And I I think that when I talk to all those guys, I think one of the takeaways was just like, get to a place where you at least like it. Like it's, it's so important. Yeah. It's another cliche, but you know, and this can be applied to a lot of different aspects of hunting. You could apply this to, you know, some people can replace some of this scouting with habitat work or those kinds of things. But, you know, the cliche idea that you kill your deer in the off season and you shoot them in the fall. Um, and you could also say you kill your deer, you know, on, well, this is, that would be eliminated in season scout. What I'm trying to say is scouting kills deer shooting <laughs> when you're actually in the tree stand. That's a very, a relatively small part of the hunt, right? Um, it's, it's really the work done in the off season, in the spring, in the winter, in the summer, and on the days when you're not in the tree stand, when you're actually on the ground walking or glassing, all of that stuff. It's, it's so much of deer hunting is done ahead of the moment when you're in the tree stand versus like elk hunting or mule deer hunting where like the hunt is happening right now and so much of it is the decision you make next based off of what the deer did just now. But in a whitetail hunting world, at least ambush hunting the way we're talking about right now. So much of it is 
putting this whole puzzle together ahead of time, leading you to the one final piece that you then place on October 1st or November 5th or whatever. But you can't get to that point unless there's been all of this other stuff leading up to it. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's very worthy of a full month of discussion, if not much more. Uh, totally agree, buddy. So do you want me to keep you up to speed on the new property scouting and learning, or will it be too bitter of a pill to, to swallow and you'll be bitter and jealous and you'd rather me just keep it all under wraps? Listen, I'm very used to you having this kind of Sesame Street life where <laughs> everything's amazing and you're just this Muppet with a big smile on your face. So you can, I'm okay with it. If you want to keep me posted on this beautiful new property that you got, just because you're best friends with Steve Rinella or whatever, that's fine. <laughs> well, it might also be a total clunker. I might go out there and it'd be like over overrun with trespassers and uh, you know, stolen trail cameras and all sorts of craziness. So it might actually be a lot of fun for you to follow along. Dude, every once in a while that happens and it sucks so much. You just never know. And uh, that's part of the fun of the new place is that it just could be anything. So I will, despite uh, the Sesame Street uh, dig, <laughs> I'm going to keep on sharing the story with you. Hey, and we'll hey, see if I can speaking- figure it out. Speaking of digs, uh, one thing that I've been seething about since you said it uh, at the beginning of this podcast was me trout fishing with an ugly stick. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like that one? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would uh, probably be able to retire tomorrow if I had bought ugly sticks instead of the fishing rods that I've been buying my entire life. Yeah. You and me both, man. They're a much better deal when it comes to uh, pennies in the piggy bank, at least. Oh, okay. Is there any other final thing you want to cover off on? Or are we good to uh, wrap this up and uh, move into August? Man, I think we're good. I think we've we've covered it pretty heavy. All right, buddy. Well, thank you for uh, manning the mothership and leading us uh, into hunting season full-blown crazy prep mode here with a really good foundation of new scouting ideas or reminders. And uh, this coming month, as we lead into the openers that many of us will experience in September. We're going to kick off with another one of my series of the, what would you do themed episodes? So I think you recall these, Tony, I think you were a guest on one of them. Um, I absolutely was presenting a series of folks with like very specific hypothetical situations and then asking them, you know, what would you do? How would you approach this? What would be your thought process? Um, Walk me through all that. And uh, these end up being some of my favorites every year. So we're going to get some new folks on some new guests, and really digging deep on, you know, how they would tackle some tough hunting situations and uh, hopefully give us some new ideas for this coming season because it is going to be here soon. I can't believe it, but we are staring down like weeks until opening day for some states. It's crazy. I love it. I guess with that uh, all said, Tony, let's wrap her up. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Appreciate you listening. Uh, As I mentioned at the top, there's those new products over at firstlight.com, the new source vest, the origin pant, and the trigger flip mitt. Uh, highly recommend them. Worth giving, uh, giving a little time on the website there. And with all that out of the way, good luck out there in the woods scouting. Hope you're shooting. Hope you're having fun. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. 
Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. 